Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as they watched in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70. Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet, their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O oh Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have sinned evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. It is reported that Charles Spurgeon once said that some texts are so beautiful that if the preacher said nothing, the whole sermon, the whole sermon long but the text, it would be a sermon already. The text that is before us is surely one such text. So this morning, maybe, that should be it. (laughs) 
I stand here this morning after reading these glorious words to you, this glorious prayer, which in fact is a sermon, a glorious sermon, because I believe that God is faithful to use weak vessels to do his glorious work. I'm here totally, entirely dependent on the grace of God so that this second sermon would not in any way cause you to lose sight of the glory of the first. That God, we know, is delighted in using weak vessels. And that's why I'm here and I pray and I know that he will. As he's done many times before, be faithful to us for our good, for his glory. So you will get to hear the second sermon this morning. The words indeed are quite glorious. They are great words for us as we come to the end of another year. And as we look forward to the very next year. And so what I want to do this morning is to ask you to join in the prayer that Moses prayed so many years ago. We will be focusing primarily on the 12th verse, on the request that is contained in the 12th verse. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So teach us, God, to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. For those of you who like to take notes, I'll make it easy for you. I will be looking at this prayer under three uh, subtitles, three headings, if you'd like. The first one is this, a most necessary prayer. A most necessary prayer. Then, a most useful prayer, and last, a most applicable prayer. A most necessary prayer. Teach us to number our days. At first, if you read this verse, you may say, what is so hard about the task of numbering one's days? Why would Moses come before God with this, what seems to be a very simple prayer? God, help us. Help us to number our days. Help us to keep track of the calendar. Obviously, that's what I'm sure would come to mind at first, right? Teach us to number. Some kind of arithmetic process where you go, you're counting the days and the weeks and the months, keeping track of how old you are. Sure, all of us do that. Sometimes we're not 
too good at it. I know I am not. Forgot what year, what age I was last year, so I'll do that sometimes. Well, I'm 55 or 56. And, but, but it's not a hard thing, if we focus on it, to keep track of how time is passing, at least of, of this, if from a mathematical standpoint, that is. So then why would Moses, in the midst of such a prayer, during a time of great affliction, as the people of God are suffering in the wilderness, why would he come with such a simple request? Teach us to number our days. Obviously, Moses knew that this process has more to do than just mathematics. It's not just about keeping track of how the days are going. Well, last week, well, yesterday was Friday, today is Saturday, and so on and so forth, and keeping track of our age. I believe in praying the prayer to number our days. What Moses was doing and what we ought to do is to ask God to help us consider, measure, evaluate our days, our lives in light of two particular realities that we are prone to take lightly or ignore altogether in the course of our daily pilgrimage. Let me say it again. In praying this prayer, what we are asking God to do is to help us, not just to keep track of the passage of time, but rather for God himself to so work in our minds and heart that he would help us consider, measure, evaluate our days, our lives in light of two particular realities that we're going to look at. That realities that we are prone to take lightly or ignore altogether in the course of our daily pilgrimage. The first reality that we tend not to give much thought of is the fact of the brevity of life. The fact that our lives are quite short. And this reality is set forth for us in this text vividly. That our lives are short, and, and we see it particularly, as it is set forth for us here, in contrast to the eternality of God. Verse says 1 through 4 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Note that. In all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watched, as a watch in the night. These verses, my brothers and sisters, only can be spoken of one person and one person only, our God. 
He alone is the one who's been with his people from generation to generation. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. The one whom Moses refers to here as Adonai. The eternally sovereign one. The one who has always been the Lord and master over his people. The God who has been the dwelling place, we are told here. The refuge of his people, not just for a few years, but in all generations. The creator, and therefore, the Lord over all things and all peoples. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The one who not only gives life, but the one who also has the total prerogative to take it away. You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men. As you read these words, you can see clearly that there is an allusion here to, to Genesis, is there not? That the God who created us out of the dust can say, return, return men to dust. Now in contrast to God's eternality and sovereignty, the text presents the reality of man's existence as quite as fleeting. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, and what about our years? You sweep them away as with a flood. Have you ever seen a flood? I hope you have not personally suffered loss through a flood. But what happens when you have a flood? What happens if there's a flood and there's a little bicycle there? How much resistance does that, flood, that little bike give? It is swept away. And it's not just a little bike. Cars have been swept away. By floods. The idea is that we are not able to resist, to resist the flood of death when it comes our way. We have no power to stop it. When the end comes, there is nothing that we can do. Our years are swept away with a flood, helpless and very quickly see our years also our lives are like a dream like a dream I don't know if you like me or you forget most of your dreams but we all know what happened when we have dreams how quickly do they go just like that our years our lives are not just like dream but they are like grass like grass that is renewed in the morning in the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening it fades and withers and the idea is that there is early promise that's how life is early promise and we believe oh it's gonna be great it's gonna last forever and then very quickly it fades and it withers Isaiah uses the same metaphor to refer to our brevity, the brevity of our life. It says, 
chapter 40, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely, the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Verse 10, verse 10 we read, the years of our life are 70, or even of strength, 80. And I won't ask this morning who is 70 or who is 80. Thank we can all draw the conclusion. So if you're 80, that means you are, it's a little extra, you know. You pass that time, then most of us are alive. And if you're 70, you're getting close. You know what? If you're in your 50s like I am, I'm not far behind. And in the context of eternity, if you are 5 or you are 10, your life is short too. Your life is short too. And that's one of the main points that God wants us to get here. Let us not be deceived to believe that our lives here are forever. Whether you are 80 or 90 or 100 or 5 or 7 or 8, your life is passing and it is passing quickly. And there is nothing that you can do about it. Dear friends, there's nothing we can do about it. I had a professor of biology who wrote a book once called The Conquest of Death. Well, that was many, many years ago. Last time I checked, people are still dying. People come with all sorts of ideas. I heard of this architect who thought to defy the law of death, what he would do is design a house where everything would be really difficult to get to. So maybe the bedroom is here and the kitchen is all the way there and the bathroom is downstairs and the floor, instead of being nice and flat, serious, seriously, is very bumpy. What is the point? That the idea is if things are tough every day for you, that may help you live much longer. When I heard that, I said, boy, he not, did not come from places like Haiti. This is only something that an architect from a wealthy country could do. Because I suppose if it was from a poor country, it would be the total opposite. You want to live long? Oh, boy, make it as easy, you know. Just everything. Right, Eric? Absolutely. And what I just told you is truth. That somebody believe that's how we're going to conquer death. That's how we're going to control how long our lives go. We're going to go and design houses. If you've read history, you know that people have done all sorts of other crazy things to prevent the unpreventable. The point is very clear, my dear friends. Our lives are short. 
We read in the book of James, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Not just next year. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. We're working hard for 10 years. But God says, even tomorrow, you don't know what it will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, for a little time, and then vanishes. Psalm 39, verse 5. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. I don't know the first time you thought of yourself as getting old. Uh, maybe some of you here think you, you know, you're not there at all. But I remember very well going to the eye doctor about 15 years ago. That was in New York. And I went to him and I said... No joke. What in the world is going on? Just not able to see the way I used to. And, and, I, and I was like, okay, what's the deal here? And he looked at me and said, swear, once you've turned 40, this, that's the kind of thing that happens. And, and, and I remember that, wow. And of course, from since then, everything else. A lot of things have been going down. A lot of things have been going down. I... Remember people saying, oh, when you get to my age, you know, this will hurt. I mean, I used to play soccer, never, I mean, nothing would hurt now. Oh, boy. The ball is coming. I'm at home. Okay, don't kick it too hard, Thomas. Because you're going to pull something. I'm, it's no joke. I mean, I find myself hurting and say, what did I do? And I remember my parents used to say that. Our life is very short. Now, while scripture is quite clear about the brevity of our lives, and while the evidences are all around us, I mean, all around us, in our home, <laughs> our tendency as human beings is to not make much of this fact, is to not take it seriously at all, especially when it concerns us. We may take it seriously as it pertains to our other people, but not us. We don't even want to think of Mr. Death. And maybe some of you said, Thomas, can we talk about something a little bit more upbeat on this last Sunday? Death, I don't like this stuff. We don't like Mr. Death. We don't want to make any eye contact with him. We do everything to try to look, try to look the other way. But there is no way of avoiding it. And it is, I believe, because of this human tendency for us, this tendency to ignore all of the signs that life is short, that our lives are short, they're passing away, that we, like Moses, need to ask the Spirit of God to help us. To help us to number our days. Apart from divine help, we will not do it rightly. We may know we're 70, but 
that tomorrow I may not be here. You know how many people who started 2020 and who are not here? You may know some. And we may here be here operate under the assumption that we will be here next year. No guarantee. And we live as though it's going to be, of course, so. But the Bible wants us to take this, brothers and sisters, very, very seriously. And for that, we need to pray, Lord, teach us to number our days. There's another reality that we tend not to give much thought to. And this second reality has to do with the relationship between life's brevity and our sinfulness before God. The relationship between the fact that life is short and that we are sinners. We tend to assume that death is just automatic. That our bodies, we get sick, that we decay and we die, it's automatic. In the text before us, it is quite clear that Moses saw a relationship between the brevity of their lives, their affliction, and their sinfulness before God. He understood the fact that people were dying in the wilderness all around him was the result of God's direct judgment over them. Yet, even that fact in itself, that fact in itself, because think of the many years that they spent in the wilderness, People were dying and dying and dying. Even that fact in itself would not cause them to turn to God in humble trust and repentance. They needed God's help to see the connection. And we may look at them and say, wow, how come they didn't get it? Dear friends, we are no different. Actually, the very idea of sin is something that we want to get rid of as modern men. The idea that there is a holy God who judges sin. Something we don't want to hear. We don't like this idea that there is a God who judges and that death is ultimately because of our sinfulness before this God. Statistics in themselves will not help us see it. We need God's help. Alistair Begg puts it like this. He says, if statistics alone could impress upon us the brevity of life and the reality of death and the certainty of judgment, we would all address ourselves to the issue. The fact is, the message never registers until God brings it home to us. Moses' prayer comes at a time when thousands were dying annually in the wilderness. One would think that such, a fe such fearful mortality would have impressed the whole nation, but it didn't. 21st century men and women are no different. We walk through graveyards, treading on the dust of our forefathers, meeting long-lost friends at funerals, and yet we do not number our days aright, except through some special operation of the Spirit of God. The fact that we are seriously prone then to not take the fact of life's brevity 
our sinfulness and the judgment of God and lives lives foolishly makes it clear that we need a teacher. And not just any teacher, Moses understood. They, like we, need God. They needed God to help them to number their days in the light of who God is, in the light of who they are as sinners. That they would turn to God. And that's what we need as well. We need God then to help us, to teach us to number our days rightly. Oh, that God would help us to pray this prayer this coming year. But what is the point of this prayer? What does it lead to? Because when you read the verse, numbering all our days rightly is not the end. It says we ought to do so, so teach us to number our days. Why? That we may get a heart of wisdom. This is a most useful prayer. This request is, we want God to grant it so that we acquire wisdom, a heart of wisdom. In praying, teach us to number our days, Moses' desire was that God would so work in the minds and hearts of his people to instill in them the fear of the Lord, which obviously was absent, so that in their rebellion, the fear of the Lord, which in turn would lead them to live wisely before God. For them, living wisely would mean turning from their foolish ways and looking to the God, the God who's been their dwelling place in all generations, so that they would be satisfied once again with his steadfast love, his chesed, his covenantal, enduring, never-ending love. Moses wanted to see a reversal of the dark situation that they were in. So as God would work in their hearts to help them see themselves in light of who God is, in light of their sins, in the judgment that was befalling them, that they would turn toward God in humility. They would look to God, that God would reverse their situation. Verse 14 to 17, Satisfy us in the morning, Moses prayed, with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants in your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses knew and that's why he prayed. He knew that the very God who was judging them for their sins could be called upon to show mercy toward them. To show mercy toward them. That in they can come as they have a heart of wisdom. Look to this God, not to themselves, not to anything else, not to try to ignore their present realities, but that God would use everything to bring them to himself, to look to God for mercy. 
that God would satisfy them in the morning with his steadfast love instead of knowing wrath, you see. That's a reversal of what was going on. They were experiencing the wrath of God. See that in the previous verses. So Moses wanted them to experience, instead of wrath, the refreshing, the refreshment of the steadfast love of God. And they would be satisfied with it. That God would give them joy and gladness all of their days, instead of the affliction that they were experiencing. That God would manifest his gracious works toward them and their children instead of hiding his face from them. That God would establish the work of their hands instead of causing them to experience futility in their labor. Teach us to number our days. God what did through Moses for his people to number their days well so that they would see their situations wisely and respond wisely by looking to God, the one they had turned against for grace and mercy. How about us? How helpful is this old prayer to us? How helpful is it as we find ourselves at the end of 2000, I almost say 19, <laughs> of 2020? My dear friends, this prayer is not just necessary, it's not, it is useful for us as well. This prayer is most applicable to us. And I want to mention three things very quickly. As believers, listen to this, as believers in Christ on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we stand in an even more desirable position than Moses to make the wonderful requests that are listed in this psalm. Do you believe that? Let me say it again. Let me say it again. As believers in Christ, we stand today in 2020 in an even more desirable position to ask of God to do the things that Moses asked. In the words of Sinclair Ferguson, as believers, we stand on Moses' shoulder and can see Further beyond the horizon, the provisions that God has made for us. Moses could not see as he prayed those prayers, those things clearly. He did not know of Bethlehem, did he? He did not know of the cross, did he? Oh, the empty tomb. So on this side of eternity, my dear friends, we can come before God and ask him, to help us to number our days so that we could live wisely, that we would look to Him. And as we look to Him, we find that the answers that we long for are given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That Christ, by His work on our behalf, has become, as the Apostle Paul says it, has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification 
and redemption. That in Christ, the steadfast love, the mercy of God is ours to satisfy us early, to satisfy us every day. That we have, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit that causes the love of God to inundate, to shed abroad, to, to be shed abroad in our hearts. That is satisfaction, my dear friends, that the Spirit of God brings about in our lives. Letting us know how deeply loved we are. In Christ, we know abundant joy and gladness now. And we'll know it in even a greater way in eternity. We can look to Christ to work, to establish his work, to work for us. We can even look for him to be gracious, not just to us, but to our children. We can also give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Knowing that our labor in Christ is not futile. It is not vain. So when we pray, God, establish the work of our hands. Establish the works here that we are engaging at Baraka. My dear friends, brothers and sisters, we have a strong assurance that our work will not be in vain. It will not be in vain. I don't know how often we think of those things, my dear friends. That the work that we do, it may be unseen, but whatever God calls us to do, whether it be in our home, in our places of work, or as we come, or as we spread the gospel, the Bible assures us, because of Christ, our labor is never in vain. It is not in vain. Our lives may be short, but our lives are not insignificant. The work that we do matters not just for time, but for eternity as it is done in Christ. God establishes the work of our hands. We can pray these prayers without any doubt that God will answer them. God established the work that we do now, the work that we'll do next year. In your son's name. As believers, number two, we too, well, I forgot one thing. It's, I can't leave that out. Because of Christ, there's one more thing I forgot to say. We have the certain hope of God also being our eternal dwelling place. Read Revelation chapter 21. Now, number two, second thing. As believers, we too, are prone to lose sight of life's brevity and of the things that matter most. We too need to ask God continually, and that is the point of this sermon, to help us to number our days. This needs to be the ongoing prayer of our lives. Because our tendency toward foolishness is not going to go away when we enter a new year. My brother was praying this morning and said, yeah, Sometimes we get this impression that once we have a new year, everything else that was, you know, in the past, they're just gone, they just disappear. No. We need God to help us, to keep us from falling, to help us to number our days well this coming year. 
as a practical step, maybe one thing this year I would, you could do is memorize this prayer and pray it. Pray through the 12 verse every day. You think God may do you some good? By praying every day, God teach me to number my days. You get a heart of wisdom. Do you think God would do us much good if we corporately want to pray and ask God to help us? To number our days, to be mindful of the days that he has given us, not just individually, but as a local body. If you decide, you may want to memorize the entire psalm and pray through it this coming year. In light of life's brevity, there is one more thing that I want to say. That we need to be sure that we are prepared to die well. Someone says that we have two great works, to learn to live well and to learn to die well. Are you prepared to die well? Two thousand twenty has been a difficult year for our country, for our lives, and for our world. We've all been preoccupied with COVID-19 and the devastation that we've suffered. Some of you may have felt its impact personally. We've suffered greatly. We're thankful for the vaccines that are being administered. And we do pray that God will, in his mercy, help us to see better days in 2020. That he would do even beyond what we were able to imagine, that there'll be some much greater sense of normalcy next year. I do not know what will happen as far as COVID-19. We have reason to be hopeful, but we do not know. Say it's obvious, right, from the reading of the psalm. We don't know what the future holds. But I want to say to you this morning that do not let, whether it be the reality of COVID-19 and all the other things that have preoccupied us, let us not be distracted by our main task, which is to be ready to die and face our God. Let us not lose of the fact that we need to prepare for our eternal destiny. Death is certain. Unless Christ comes, every single one of us here will die. Those who are 80 who say, of course, Thomas. But those who are eight as well. Death is certain. Furthermore, in case you're saying, okay, Thomas, I know 7080, it can come literally at any time. I have no guarantee that I will be alive to have lunch with my family. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, my friends. None of us 
has been given the guarantee that we're going to be alive for the next five minutes. Furthermore, after death, the Bible says, comes a judgment. It is appointed for men once to die, and after that comes a judgment. But that's not all we are told. The Bible tells us that Christ is God's answer for the problem of sin and death. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? You may have a lot of other questions on your mind this morning. But I'd like to tell you that this is one of the, the most important questions I would even say that you need to face this morning. Where do you stand in regard to Christ? Do you know him as your Savior and Lord? Savior from what, you may say? The Bible makes it very clear that all of us suffer from something that is far more serious than COVID-19. We've all sinned before God. We've all sinned before a holy and righteous God. By the things we've done, by the thoughts we've had. By the things we have failed to do, we have all sinned before God. I will not presume to know you very well, but I can say on the testimony of God's word, I know this about you, that you are a sinner. Cute little boys and girls, you're a sinner. Young men, young women, the Bible says you have a problem and it is sin. And it is not something that God is indifferent to, regardless of how society responds to the reality of sin. The Bible tells us, as we read, that God judges sin. That God pulls out of his wrath on sinners. And he does so because he's God. Because he has made us. He is holy. So, have you looked to his son? The one whose birth we celebrated not too long ago. The one who came as a baby. Who lived a perfect life who never did anything wrong, who never sinned. And he was true humanity. But he obeyed the Father perfectly. And he died the death that sinners like us deserved. He obeyed the Father on behalf of those who put his tr their trust in him. He paid the price of the sins for those who would look to him. And the Bible says when we look to Jesus Christ, no other, our sins are forgiven. The wrath of God is removed from us. In Christ, the wrath of God is satisfied. In Christ, in Christ alone. So if you are here this morning, 
and you do not know Jesus. You are not sure. You may be trying hard to not even think of this death. You may be, what in the world is wrong with this man to be speaking of such a topic at the end of such, an, such a terrible year? Let me just say this to you. I'm not a mad or angry man at all. I'm here to speak of this because I believe there is a terror that is far greater than anything we've known in 2020. The terror of falling under the wrath of God and suffering for eternity. That is far greater than any suffering that we can ever experience. You could multiply them by a million. And they will not come close to what it will be to spend an eternity away, banished from the presence of God experiencing his wrath. We cannot even contemplate it. So I urge you, not tomorrow, but today. It should be pretty obvious by now, tomorrow is not promised. So today... Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to look to Christ. Do not be like the rich fool in Jesus' parable. You remember him? The man whose land had produced plenty and who was well prepared for that which was to come for his retirement. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store up my crops. Some of you may have this problem today. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my bonds and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, head to Florida. So you have ample goods laid up for many years. You have worked so hard all those years. Now relax. Eat, drink, play golf, be merry, collect seashells. What he did not know was that God had another plan and one that he could not stop. Fool! This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This night, your soul is required of you. Total surprise. It is my hope and prayer, my desire, that God will grant me many, many, many years, and the same for you, so that we will serve him for a very long time on this earth. That's the main reason. However, you have no idea what God will do. And for the, you who really are still struggling, who do not know Jesus, I beg with you, don't be a fool. Do the only wise thing. Run to Christ the way you are. Even with your unanswered questions, run to him 
The Bible says that if you run to him, if you call upon him, he will save you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do indeed want to pray. And not just want to pray, we need to pray that you would help us do what we are not prone to do. That you will help us to number our days aright. To number our days wisely. To see our days, our weeks, whatever you give us, in light of the fact that our life here is short, God. And we do not know when you're going to take our life away. So as your children, we want our lives to count. We want to make the most of every opportunity. We do not want to be fools. So please, Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to learn this lesson. And not just today, but to continue to learn it every day. We are forgetful students. May your Holy Spirit keep us so that we could keep learning this. And Father, I want to thank you so much for what you've done for us in Christ. Thank you that Jesus, through his death, and resurrection has not only made a way for us to be spared from wrath but that there's a day that's coming that death will be no more we thank you we look forward father to the ultimate consummation when all will be right when all will be made perfect. Where your name will be fully glorified in us. We pray for that. Father, I know you will always be glorified even in judgment. But I want to pray, Father, this morning that you would be glorified by showing mercy to anyone here this morning who is resisting who is foolishly thinking that their lives are going to be forever. Show special mercy, irresistible mercy. Come as a flood, not to sweep them in wrath, but as a flood to bring them to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.